Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. Our late night show. Are you kidding me? Where else would you rather be from 10 o'clock to midnight on a Tuesday night? Then right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM, and we appreciate you tuning us in. Coming up tonight, Hayes Carline of the Frangie Show. We will recap the Jaguar season, but certainly uh, most of that conversation will be looking ahead to the offseason that is to come, free agency, the draft, what Jacksonville needs to do to stay among the NFL's elite as a now defending division champion. So Hayes Carline coming up in about 25 minutes or so. Brent Beard in the world of college football early in the 11 o'clock hour. A lot going on in the world of college football. We'll discuss about the Jaden Rashada uh, fiasco, I guess, that went on in Gainesville. They got a Heisman campaign working for Jordan Travis already over in Tallahassee. We got a quarterback that's transferred out of Miami, Alabama, now looking for not one but two different coordinators as Bill O'Brien is on his way back to the National Football League. So there is a lot going on in the world of college football, and Britton Beard will join us in the 11 o'clock hour. And the high school spotlight returns here, a January edition of the high school spotlight. A couple of brand-new head coaches in the area, Corey Johns from outside the area, is the brand-new head coach at Bartram Trail High School as he takes over for Daryl Sutherland. Corey Johns, a homecoming of sorts, played at Interlochen High School, also played some of his college football at Jacksonville University. So we'll talk to Corey Johns. And a brand-new head coach at Atlantic Coast High School is Step Durham. He was at Wolfson last year. He now is back at his alma mater of Atlantic Coast. So both Corey Johns and Step Durham tonight on the high school spotlight. But we got a lot to do. We're glad you're with us. It's a Tuesday night in the city of Jacksonville, and we never do this. Never, ever, ever do this. But let's live a little dangerously on a Tuesday night at 10.04 Eastern Standard Time. Tomorrow night in Gainesville, it is Florida and South Carolina on the hardwood. The Gators have won four out of five in the SEC. They're four and three overall in the conference. They welcome in the South Carolina Gamecocks tomorrow night. If you want to go to Gainesville to see Todd Golden and the Gator men's basketball team take on South Carolina and you can go tomorrow, you're able to go tomorrow, simply be caller four right now at 641 10 10. That's what we do. That's what Denmark and I do for you. The late night crowd, the midnight shift, the graveyard shift. We're here for you on a Tuesday night. Florida, South Carolina basketball tickets right now. Caller 4 641 10 10. 
and we will send you to Gainesville for that basketball game tomorrow evening. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do give you a big deal of the night, and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. It is a big deal. We are now 72 hours removed from the Jaguar season coming to an end. The reality of the situation has set in. And there's a lot of things that we need to look at, a lot of things that we need to discuss, certainly. One of them is general manager Trent Baalke. Now, about a month ago, I myself issued a public apology to Trent Baalke. He has done a fantastic job turning this roster around. He's done a fantastic job assembling talent. And I thought some of the criticism on Trent Baalke was unfair last year. I understood it. I still thought it was unfair. If you want to apologize or don't want to apologize to Trent Baalke, that's your prerogative. To me, the guy did an outstanding job as a Jaguar GM. You think about the 28-year history of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I mean this, 28 years on the football field. Have they ever had a better free agent class, top to bottom? You got, what, six, seven guys last offseason that were absolutely vital to the success of this football team this year. Christian Kirk. Oh, people are up in arms about Christian Kirk. And I understand he had some drops. He had a big drop on Saturday. He's not without flaw. But Trent Brockie brought Christian Kirk in here, and that guy became, what, a 1,200-yard wide receiver, playoffs included. He was fantastic. Zay Jones he brought in here, along with Christian Kirk. Zay Jones. Who is Zay Jones? Well, he went on to have a career year. He was terrific. Evan Ingram, the best single-season tight end numbers statistics in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Trent Baalke brought him in. Brandon Sheriff from Washington solidified the offensive line, was a huge part of what the Jaguars did this year. Foye Oluwakan, he brings him in from Atlanta. Oluwakan leads the team in tackles, leads the league in tackles. Darius Williams turned out to be one of the Jaguars' better secondary players the last two months of the year. Foley Fadakasi was good. Was a good player. It's a good signing. Trent Baalke went seven for seven. Seven for seven. He met the media earlier today, and it's really the first time We've had an extensive opportunity to listen to Trent Baalke. And I thought it was interesting. He was asked flat out about the outside noise last year that was calling for his firing. The outside noise that quite honestly, and you know if you did it, it's okay if you did it, you were not in the minority. 
But I imagine some of you listening right now were among the quote-unquote outside noise. Maybe you're the ones that dressed up as clowns. I don't know. But Trent Baalke was asked today down at the stadium in the final press conference of the year about that outside noise that called for his firing a year ago. We're paid to do a job, and that job's to put the best product we can out on the field. And I've never listened to the noise. The noise doesn't determine uh, the decisions that we're going to make as an organization. And I think uh, the, the best thing you can do when there's a lot of noise is put earplugs ear in, you know, and just go about your job. And that's what we tried to do. And again, it's, there's never one person that makes these decisions. It's, it's a group decision, organizational decision. Uh, Doug and I are very much involved together in this process, and we involve everybody underneath us uh, to, a, to a, the nth degree. I mean, there's just a, a lot of collaboration that people don't, don't see behind the scenes. You know, I'll tell you what's going to be interesting. And by the way, Trent Balky, it's good you had earplugs in because you were getting hammered every which way last year. And again, I thought it was unfair at the time. I understood it. I thought it was over the top, and I'm happy for Trent. I got nothing but good things to say about him and the job he did this year. Yeah, you could argue a little bit about Trayvon Walker. The 2022 draft is not just for the 2022 season. Talk to me in two years. That's when we'll have a definite answer about Trayvon Walker. I mean, you think about the guys that Trent Baalke drafted. We talk about the free agents he brought in. By the way, the seven free agents I mentioned, Don't forget Roy Robertson-Harris. Don't forget Arden Key. Don't forget Rayshon Jenkins. Those were all Trent Baalke guys, too. He also drafted the likes of Tyson Campbell, Andre Sisco, Luke Fortner. I mean, the guy has had a good string of success here recently. He's hitting a lot of singles and doubles. He's probably got a couple of home runs in there. Trent Baalke was also asked today why he believes this season was a success here in Jacksonville. There's a lot of things to point to, but I don't think you point to anything greater than, than Doug's influence as a leader. You know, when you have a, someone at the, at the top that's as steady as Doug is, uh, as fearless as he is, and really as authentic – you know, those are the th- three things that I think of when I think of the way Doug's led this organization and this football team that really stand out. And, and people get behind that. You know, when you're authentic, you're the same guy every day and you're fearless as a leader. Uh, people, you know, players, staff, uh, fan bases, you know, it's, it's encouraging and it's engaging. You know, it's interesting where we are now with the Jaguars. They're not going to be big spenders in free agency. They can't be. They did that last year. Now, Trent Baalke hit all the right buttons last year, brought in all the right guys. I have nothing negative to say about Arden Key, Fadakasi, Darius Williams, Aluikin, Kirk, Zay Jones, Sheriff Ingram. All of those guys were terrific. In fact, that's eight guys. I forgot. Yeah, that's eight if you include Arden Key. I think he was eight for eight in free agent signings last year. But he divvied out a lot of money. He turned this thing around. Now, now that the Jaguars are a division champion, 
now that a lot is going to be expected out of them, and now that they have potential cap issues, now we're going to see if Trent Baalke, who built this team and brought talent into this team to be a contender, can he keep it as a contender, which is probably harder to do. Look, when you have 175 or whatever it was, million dollars in guaranteed money, and you have Shad Khan's checkbook, and you can write this check to this guy and that guy and this guy and that guy, look, you need to make sure you're writing the right checks to the right people. And Trent Baalke did that. But it's easy when you have all that money to bring in good talent. Now you got to finagle the cap a little bit. You're 20, I think a projected 23 million over. You'll save 13 million when you cut Shaq Griffin, which is absolutely going to happen. So now you're projected 10 million over. Restructuring deals, potentially cutting some guys. It'll work, but it's going to be painful. Can you afford Jawan Taylor? Can you afford to bring back Evan Ingram? Can you afford to bring back Arden Key? Ingram and Key, of course, signed one-year deals here in Jacksonville last year. I'll tell you something else. I don't know if this is going to work, but the more I think about it and the more people I talk to, it was a shrewd move. Shrewd move. I'm starting to talk to draft guys. You will start hearing from some of those guests beginning tomorrow. And we have a lot of draft guys here on Hacker After Dark, and we're late to the party. Keep in mind, guys, you know this from listening to this station. Normally, by January the 24th, we're two to three months into draft talk. No, we're just now really getting into it. So I'm catching up on the fly. And what I've found out in the last couple of days by guys that do this for a living, study the entire draft class, the wide receiver position in this draft is not great. In fact, I heard the words substantially down from the last couple of years. And the last couple of years have been very good. But substantially down is this wide receiver draft class. So, what does Trent Baalke do at the trade deadline last year? He makes a trade for Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley was suspended by the National Football League. He is eligible to apply for reinstatement, I believe, the day after the Super Bowl. By all indications, nothing should prevent him from getting reinstated. And Calvin Ridley should be good to go on April 17th when the Jaguars report for offseason conditioning. And again, by all indications, Calvin Ridley has been keeping himself in terrific shape, been working out, and he's ready to go. When Calvin Ridley left the NFL in October of 2021, you could argue that he was among the top 15 receivers in football. The guy was a beast, man. Will he be that again after such a long layoff? I have no idea. I would tend to doubt it. But if you get 80% of what he was, it's pretty good. Trent Baalke was asked today about Calvin Ridley and adding him to this wide receiver room. Obviously, we feel very good about Calvin and what he can bring to the organization and will bring to the organization. 
Uh, we feel really good about the guys that we have under contract. I uh, thought that group this year uh, did, a, did an excellent job. But the most important thing is we're, we're going to surround Trevor with the same cast of characters, if you will, you know, the same cast of, of, of receiving threats, the same running back core for the most. Now, we're going we're gonna to always look to, to, you know, insert guys here and there, but for the most part, getting that core group back for a second year in the same offense with, with, with the same play caller, obviously, and all that that goes with it, uh, I think that's going to really help Trevor take the next step and this team take the next step. Jaguar general manager Trent Baalke. Now let's assume that Calvin Ridley does get reinstated, which again, from what I've been told by numerous people, is a relatively safe assumption. So you bring Calvin Ridley in. You know Christian Kirk will be here. Zay Jones is almost a definite to be back. Travis Etienne, you know, will be here. And obviously Trevor will be here. The questions will be at tight end. You got three unrestricted free agents at tight end. You got the big one in Evan Ingram. Then you got the two other guys, Dan Arnold and Chris Manhurts. All three are unrestricted. Ingram's the big one. You would love to find a way to bring Evan Ingram back. The one question at wide receiver is Marvin Jones. I would tend to doubt that he'll be back. I would like to have him back, but if you add Calvin Ridley and you have Christian Kirk, and you have Zay Jones already, Marvin Jones then is at no best than your fourth receiver, and fourth receivers have to play special teams. It's just a fact of life. And Marvin Jones isn't playing special teams. Jamal Agnew also factors in, but if you heard my conversation last night with Mark Long of the Associated Press, he brought Jamal Agnew's name up as a potential cap casualty. I think he owes, he's owed $5 million or you would save $5 million against the cap if you cut Jamal Agnew. So there's a potential situation there. But you bring back Evan Ingram, you get Calvin Ridley reinstated, and you team those guys up with Travis Etienne, Christian Kirk, and Zay Jones, that would make me a happy man. That would make me a happy man. One guy that will not be back is Jaguar wide receiver coach Chris Jackson. He apparently informed the Jaguar staff earlier today, Doug Peterson, that he's going to take the same position with the Texas football team there in Austin. Mia O'Brien had that earlier today. Um, I don't necessarily know what that means. I do know the wide receivers were very good. How much of that was Chris Jackson's tutelage? I, I don't know. I would I would think he had something to do with it. I know they were very excited bringing him in last year on Doug Peterson's staff. So now you got to figure out what you're doing at the wide receiver coaching position. So Doug Peterson's got to fill a spot on his coaching staff that he maybe did not expect to have to fill. And that'll get filled in the next couple of weeks. But clearly, you want to talk about one of the strengths of the Jaguar team this year. Wide receiver was one of those strengths. So wide receiver coach Chris Jackson, again, reportedly taking the same position with the University of Texas. But again, Trent Balky met the media today. I'll have more thoughts on Balky tomorrow. But again, you tell me a better free agent class 
what, Calais Campbell and A.J. Boye and Barry Church, that was a great free agent class. You know, you want to go back to 1996, Keenan McCardell, John Yurkovic, Eddie Robinson. Again, a great free agent class. But we're talking eight guys last year. Eight with Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, Brandon Sheriff, Foye Oluwakan, Darius Williams, Arden Key, and Fadakasi. And Balky hit a home run with all eight of those guys. Unbelievably impressive. Thought he did a good job this year. And I'm happy that he is getting some recognition now for the job that he did. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. If you want to get involved in the program that way, you are certainly welcome to do so. Coming up next, Hayes Carline. You hear him every day on the Frangie Show here on 1010XL. Let's quickly review what happened in Kansas City, but let's talk about moving forward. And in Hayes' opinion, Evan Ingram, Jawan Taylor, Arden Key. What's going to happen with these guys over the next couple of weeks? That's next. Hacker After Dark on a Tuesday in Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. By the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars season comes to an end in Kansas City in the AFC Divisional Playoff. Hayes Carline was there. You hear him every afternoon on the Frangie Show, and he's always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. Hayes, how we doing, man? Hacker, I'm, I'm sad it's over. Great run, but, uh, man, it would have been fun to be uh, – Heading up to Cincinnati this weekend. There is no doubt about that, and we'll get to that in a moment because it's an interesting feeling in the city today, but to the game itself, Hayes, I thought it was very similar to Week 10, man. Some chances for the Jaguars, some opportunities that they simply did not take advantage of. Yeah, and you hope that that's the the growth that this team takes uh, because there were plays there, and, and they just didn't come up with them. It's a different game if uh, – Alua Khan comes up with the interception. It's a tough play. Uh, so I'm not I'm not disparaging him for not making it. But, you know, it's it's a play that sometimes guys can make. You know, that would have prevented the 98-yard drive. You're probably at worst getting a field goal there. Uh, so that's a 10-point swing in the game right there. You know, Christian Kirk, who had a fantastic season, doesn't come up with the bomb from Trevor. You know, what kind of put pressure would that have put on the Chiefs? They end up getting a field goal on the drive. Uh, but maybe that could have been a touchdown first and goal from the 14. And, and there were others as well. Uh, you know, Walker Little got beat and, and ended up with a tripping penalty that kind of ruined the drive there. So, you know, guys that, uh, you know, just weren't able to make the kind of plays you have to make. And, uh, and, and that was the story of the game. So, yeah, I don't think you walk away from it thinking, boy, the Chiefs are just in a totally different league than the Jaguars. You know, they, they were – they beat them both times in Arrowhead, but both were pretty competitive games. You know, I certainly think you're feeling a lot better if you're the Jaguars in that situation than, let's say, the Giants, who just got steamrolled by Philadelphia. Uh, you know, and, and even Buffalo. Buffalo's in a different place in, in their their process and their journey. There's more despair, obviously, in Buffalo because they were the favorites and they've already been to that level. But, I mean, they weren't very competitive at home with Cincinnati. So, yeah, I, I think when you look around and you and you see it, it's it's easy to be optimistic about where this thing is going. That was certainly the the mood 
uh, at the stadium today as uh, the players cleaned out their lockers and Doug Peterson did his final uh, press conference of the season. Uh, you, you can tell that, that they feel like they're ahead of schedule and uh, and they should feel that way to to make a jump from having the number one pick to the, the 24th pick in a draft and winning a division title and winning a playoff game. And uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. They'll, they'll be back April 17th. And uh, certainly I can't wait to see the next uh, incarnation of the Jaguars. We won't know who the, the first round pick is on April 17th, but uh, we'll certainly know what they did in free agency and who they brought back. And, and that's going to be a lot of fun to monitor. 1010 XLs. Hey, it's Carline here with us. And yeah, a team that battled, to the very end, even when it was 10 points, no timeouts, they still got down to kick the field goal to have an onside kick there with about 25 seconds to go, Hayes. That's just who this team was. They never seemed to give up. And back to the feeling in the city. Look, I get the sense Saturday night was unbelievable disappointment. Talking to people today, they can't wait for next season. I imagine season ticket purchases this offseason season will be in very high demand. I haven't sensed this much excitement going into an offseason in Jacksonville in a long time. People want 2023 opening day to get here very, very soon. It's kind of a unique feeling because we haven't had this in a while. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And the other thing, too, is you know who the nucleus is, where we haven't really had that. You know, the last two offseasons, obviously, we knew Trevor was coming. Uh, and then last offseason, we, you know, really didn't know anything about what the the team might look like uh, and what they might do with the number one pick. You know, this offseason, the draft doesn't mean as much. It's obviously going to be important that they select the right player uh, at 24, but that's not going to really make or break their season. Like, you know, when you're picking at the top of the draft and uh, and we already know, obviously, the, the major acquisition is going to be Calvin Ridley, who... Uh, we probably, you know, Doug made it sound today like probably won't see him, you know, really be able to do anything with the Jaguars until April 17th when the offseason program begins. Um, but that doesn't mean that Calvin Ridley can't get together with Trevor Lawrence, get together with Christian Kirk. Uh, you know, obviously he can have player interaction, um, but can't really do anything with the team uh, until then. But people are going to be certainly excited about Calvin Ridley joining this offense and, uh, and and I don't think they're going to really have a lot of money to go elsewhere in free agency for for you know out of house answers. Uh, Doug made it clear they want to resign these free agents. They love the room that they've built, uh, and I think they they really want this team to have as much continuity as possible. So I think guys like Jawan Taylor, Evan Ingram, Arden Key. Uh, I think those are all guys that they're going to really look to, uh, you know, try and keep. And, and that's going to be a challenge in terms of you've only got one tag. Uh, it, it sounds like they, they'd love to come to uh, long-term extensions with all, all three of those players. Uh, but that, that will certainly be tricky. And if they're able to do that, then they're going to be very select shoppers uh, when free agency begins because they're just not going to have as much money as we're used to them having. Hayes Carline here with us. Hayes, you mentioned April 17th. That's 12 weeks from today. On April 17th, let me throw a couple of names at you. Let's go rapid fire. Will Evan Ingram be a Jaguar on April 17th? Uh, absolutely. I'd put that one at a 95% probability. Is that a, uh, if they don't get a deal with him, is that the franchise tag, do you think? I, I would think, but, you know, that's where if you don't get the deal done what you won, you know, how do you prioritize that? 
and I could see them prioritizing the right tackle over the tight end uh, in that scenario. So if they can't get a deal done with either, then I, I would, I, I'm leaving a little bit of room for Ingram to not be here because they could then elect to tag Taylor. But I think it's very likely Evan Ingram's here. I mean, I, I'm, I'm incredibly confident. So again, 95% on Evan Ingram, so not quite a lock, but certainly close. And uh, you basically answered this question. I'll ask it anyway. Jawan Taylor. They want to get it done. Uh, Doug made it clear he thought he played outstanding this year, um, really embraced the new staff. Uh, so I think that, you know, they're judging him on this season, not not really what he had done in, in seasons past. And and they will certainly are, are wanting to hold on to him. Now it's different. That's going to be – Juwan's a player that's going to have more attractiveness on the market than Evan Ingram uh, because of the nature of his position. He's younger. Um, all that's going to factor in. So that's where it gets a little dicey. You know, Juwan Taylor, I'm sure, would like to, you know, unless the Jaguars blow him away with the deal, he'd probably like to see what the market would bear out uh, because, as we know, tackles in the NFL are, are scarce. So that's where – you know, I think the tag could come into play there. Uh, I think with Juwan Taylor, I'm going to put it at 55%. But if he doesn't take a deal, then I could see the Jaguars saying, we don't want to tag him. Let's just tag Ingram. Ingram wants to be here. I, I, he's made that clear. Juwan, I think, is a little more like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to be here if, if, if everything is right, if the, if, if the money's right. But Juwan's at a point in his career where I think he's going to want to go to whoever's going to pay him the most. And so I don't, I don't, and not to say that Evan isn't in that same position, but Evan's made substantially more in the NFL than Jawan Taylor has. Not that this would be a bad problem to have, but if you re-sign Jawan Taylor, Cam Robinson back in the fold, Walker Little proved to be a very good player in, in Cam Robinson's place. Does that complicate things in training camp? Is there any battles there? I think it absolutely uh, creates an interesting – it's a good problem, but an interesting one because do you just move Walker Little to left guard and and kind of move on from Ben Barch as a starter? Uh, you know, it seems like they still like Barch, but I don't know that he did enough and before he got injured uh, to, to take that off the table. Walker Little did play well, so you'd like to think, you know, I think if it was college football, there'd be no doubt. I think Walker Little would go to left guard because you play your best five at college football. In the NFL, they don't like to do that quite as much. And so my guess is with the fact that they're not having to install a new system, they're not, you know, there's so much familiarity. There's so much continuity now in the program. It would allow them time to let Walker Little really get entrenched at left guard and see if that works. Cam would obviously stay at left tackle, Jawan at right tackle. And then if something were to happen to Cam Robinson or Jawan, then Walker would go back to tackle and Barch would step in at left guard. And then obviously we'll see what, you know, where Tyler Shatley fits into this as well from a depth perspective. Final moments here with Hayes Carline. You get him every afternoon on the Frangie Show. Hayes, the role players, will begin with Arden Key. Obviously he bet on himself. Looks like he's going to come out green on the other side as well. Uh, big payday in store for him. Does he remain a Jaguar? I think he does. I think it's really close um, because, again, this is where uh, – the. I mean, it, it, again, if the Jaguars had the normal cap space that we're used to them having, he would absolutely be a lock. I think that's where it gets – he's probably third in the order of Taylor, Ingram, Key – 
Uh, you also have Smoot there as well, but he's a little bit more complicated with the Achilles injury. So I think he gets done, but that's like a 51% for me. He wants to be here. Uh, I think he, he enjoys it. I, I'm curious to see. The, the, the problem is, does somebody, there's going to be some teams with ridiculous money. And do one of those teams come in and say, you know, we're willing, you know, again, all these guys are going to know coming out of the combine what their worth is because all the agents meet there and all the GMs are there and there's conversations that we know you're not supposed to have, but, but they happen. And all it takes is, a, is another opposing general manager to say to Key's agent, look, if your guy hits the market, we're going to go 14 million. Now I don't know that that'll happen, but if it does, it's going to pretty much price the Jaguars out of our key. So uh, the team wants him. The player wants to be here. But again, that could be one that at the end of the day, if you're Arden Key, how do you not just take the most lucrative deal? Because he's another guy who hasn't made crazy money in the NFL. So uh, I'll put it at 51%, but that one I think is uh, dicey. Of the other guys, I guess, if you will, Andrew Wingard, Chris Manhurts, Dan Arnold, Marvin Jones, Trey Herndon, how, uh, Corey Peters, Adam Gotstis, how would you prioritize level of importance for the Jaguars to bring back? That's a great question. I think uh, I think if any of them want substantially more money, they're going to be somewhere else, or if they get that. I, you know, I think I think for some of these guys, it's going to be, do I like the fit here? Do I like where I'm at? Am I willing to maybe take a little less uh, to have more of a guaranteed spot? Because all the guys you're talking about, they're not going to get crazy money in free agency. So their spot on their new team is still going to be somewhat up in the air. And all the players that you mentioned are not obvious locks to make a 53. You know, they're, they're good. They're good players. They've, they've earned their, their stripes in this league, but there's something to be said for the Jaguars know what you are. You know what the Jaguars are. Uh, you know, if, if they want to have you and, and you like it here, maybe it would be better to stay here because your chances of making the 53 go up exponentially because you know the system. You know, if any of those players go to a new team, you know, we've seen it here. We've seen the Jaguars sign free agents and they don't make the 53. Uh, I remember like Mackenzie Bernadou, they signed out at a, an offensive lineman out of Dallas a few years ago, and he's just one example. But they signed him in the initial wave of free agency and he didn't make the 53-man roster. So I think for those kind of guys where you're really focusing in on can I get that one more year, to, you know, of my pension? Can I, you know, can I, can I stay somewhere? Can I, can I stay on a 53? I think staying here would be their probably primary option. Arnold's the only one of the group that you mentioned that I don't think he has a place here. He, he's too talented to languish here. I think he's going to hit the open market. He's going to get a pretty decent contract. Um, so Arnold is the only one that I don't think fits what I just said. I think Arnold, Arnold moves on. He should move on. Uh, the only reason I think Arnold would come back is if they can't get something done with Ingram. You uh, made a comment earlier uh, when I had you on a few months ago, and it's one that I totally agree with, how to save money against the cap. And we mentioned Shaq Griffin, which is obvious. He's gone. Roy Robertson-Harris and Rayshon Jenkins. And at that point, you know, yeah, you, you cut those three. None of those guys at the time you felt was playing very well. And then all of a sudden, Rayshon Jenkins and Roy Robertson-Harris were two of their best defensive players down the stretch do those guys need to be back here do the Jaguars need to find a way to 
rework some contracts to ensure those guys are back? I think they'd love to, you know, if, if that's the, if that's what it takes, Rayshon Jenkins, I think will be back. I, I think even if it comes down to just paying what he's owed, I think they'll find a way to do that. Um, Roy Robertson Harris is, is intriguing because you don't know what they're going to do with Trayvon Walker. You know, do have they decided that Trayvon Walker is more a, a guy that should be playing at that spot? If he is, then Roy Robertson Harris becomes expendable, uh, even though he's played very well. You just wouldn't want to have that much money tied up in that one spot. Uh, so that's where the Jaguars are going to have to figure out exactly where is Trayvon Walker's future. Is it outside linebacker or is it at defensive end in our scheme? And that's going to greatly affect what happens to Roy Robertson Harris, in my opinion. So uh, because of the salary he's going to be making, he can't be a reserve. And so um, so that one's intriguing. I think Jenkins is definitely back. I'd put that one at 85%. Uh, it would be interesting if they restructured it. I'd certainly have no problem with that. He seems like somebody that should be able to play at a pretty high level for the next two or three years. So I wouldn't mind kicking that down the, the road a little bit to free up some money uh, now. And uh, Roy Robertson Harris is interesting too, but my guess is that they'll probably probably have to end up releasing him, but a lot of it will depend on Trayvon Walker. If he stays at outside linebacker, I'm sure they'll try and make it work. And the crazy thing is all these decisions have to be made in the next six or seven weeks. Hayes, final question, about 90 seconds left. I'll obviously have you on a bunch this offseason, but when we all convene down at training camp in July and it's the 2023 uh, start to camp, and we talk about the 2022 season. What are the one or two things you'll remember the most? I think the growth of Trevor and just what a remarkable job Doug Peterson did with everything that he had to fix. Uh, the, the culture is outstanding. He's built an incredible foundation that now can be added to. And uh, in, a, in a large portion of that is the growth of the franchise quarterback. Trevor Lawrence deserves a ton of credit for shaking off a, a really tough October and uh, playing fantastic football in the second half, winning a division. He's 23. Uh, so everything is, is, I think, very bright for the Jaguars. And, and again, a lot of this team is going to return. So, yeah, what's going to be interesting is now there's going to be expectations. Now you're going to be the overwhelming favorite to win the AFC South, you know, unless something crazy happens with the Titans at their quarterback position. But assuming – they don't land an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady. I think most people expect the Jaguars to win the AFC South and to win it comfortably next year. So you're going to deal with the expectations of that, having to hit that, having to make a deeper run into the tournament. All that's going to be uh, very interesting to see how the team handles that because there were no expectations. Now there's going to be fairly lofty ones. Hayes Carline wrote a terrific piece on the Jaguar season. You can catch that on 1010XL.com, and you can listen to him every afternoon on the Frangie Show. Hey, as always, appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. Enjoyed it, Hacker. Thanks so much. Hey, it's Carline of the Frangie Show. Always appreciate his time. A couple of pieces of business. University of Texas, within the last hour, has officially announced that uh, Chris Jackson, the former Jaguar wide receiver coach, as is making the move there. Mia O'Brien had that for you earlier today here on 1010XL, and uh, so the Jaguars now in the market for a new wide receiver coach. There are reports as well that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are wanting to interview Jim Bob Cooter for the offensive coordinator opening, opening in Tampa 
course, Jim Bob Cooter here in Jacksonville was the passing game coordinator. He, along with Mike McCoy and Press Taylor and Doug Peterson, that's what happens, right? When you have a successful season, you know, other teams are going to see what, what you're doing on your staff. So we'll see what happens. But just some reports out there that uh, Tampa Bay is at least interested in interviewing Jim Bob Cooter potentially for that offensive coordinator opening down there in Tampa. Coming up next, some more NFL news and notes. There's a lot going on. There is actually a ton going on that really doesn't involve the championship games. We'll get into those as the week goes on. Cincinnati, Kansas City, San Francisco, Philadelphia. But some interesting things going on. Potential news on quarterbacks moving, changing locations, quarterbacks that may be staying in the same spot that you might find interesting as well. That and a whole lot more with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you on the doorstep of the 11 o'clock hour. We're here till midnight, Jacksonville. It's our late show on a Tuesday. It's Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. With Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you, 1010XL 92. Point five FM. There is a ton going on in the National Football League, even away from the championship games. A couple of news tidbits that we'll get to leading into championship Sunday. You see earlier today, Bill O'Brien back in the National Football League. Of course, Bill O'Brien, the former head coach of the Houston Texans, or the one year he assumed the general manager role, he just buried that franchise. He gets fired and ends up being the offensive coordinator at Alabama and did a very good job in Tuscaloosa for Nick Saban. He leaves that role today to go back to the NFL and back to the New England Patriots as the offensive coordinator for Bill Belichick. And, of course, that reunites Bill O'Brien with Mac Jones, Jacksonville's own Mac Jones. I think that's good. Look, O'Brien's a good play caller. There is no doubt about that. New England needs all the help they can get on the offensive side of the ball. So I like that move by New England today, bringing back Bill O'Brien. News out of New York involving the New York football giants. Now, what's interesting about them is Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones are both set to become free agents on March the 13th. Remember, they did not give the fifth-year option to Daniel Jones. So, what does that mean for New York, a team that was in the divisional round of the playoffs? Well, word out of New York is that their plan is to, quote, move forward with Daniel Jones. I guess that is a long-term deal. Would they potentially franchise him if they cannot get a long-term deal worked out by March 13th? We'll have to see, but it looks like the Giants, at least what they're saying right now, they're comfortable moving forward with Daniel Jones as their quarterback. Their rivals in the NFC East, the Dallas Cowboys, can they say the same thing about Dak Prescott? Dallas losing for the second year in a row to San Francisco in the playoffs. You see Jerry Jones after the game? Jerry Jones was not happy. He used the term, I'm sick or I'm sickened 
seven times in 93 seconds. When an NFL owner, a billionaire, uses the term, I'm sick, seven times in 93 seconds, he's probably sick as to what he saw in San Francisco. He canceled his uh, weekly radio appearance this morning in Dallas. Not sure what that means. But they owe Dak Prescott a lot of money, and the problem for Dallas is you really can't do anything about it. You can't cut him. It's going to be a huge salary hit regardless. Dak Prescott's the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys next year. He's going to be 30 years old, and there cannot possibly be a lot of confidence that he is going to be the guy in Dallas moving forward. Patrick Mahomes appears to be the guy in Kansas City this Sunday. All indications are, despite the high ankle sprain that he suffered against Jacksonville, that he's good to go. On Sunday, now what does good to go mean? (laughs) Does that mean he'll play? Yeah, it means that. Will he be Patrick Mahomes? I would seriously doubt it. You know, and it's interesting too. You know Joe Burrow's record against Patrick Mahomes is 3-0? Burrow has never lost to Patrick Mahomes. One of those wins came last year in the AFC Championship game at Arrowhead. The other two wins came... In Cincinnati, Joe Burrow heads back to Arrowhead. And I got to tell you, if Burrow beats a wounded Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs again to go to 4-0 against Kansas City, isn't Joe Burrow then the best quarterback in the NFL? Everybody talks about Mahomes. I don't know how Mahomes can be the best quarterback in football if Burrow has beat him four times. And then finally, in San Francisco, defensive end Charles Amenehu arrested on suspicion of domestic violence on Monday. Yikes. Four and a half sacks on the year, two sacks in the wild card win over Seattle. That is not what the 49ers need as they're getting ready for the NFC Championship game. They said they're aware of the situation. They have not commented publicly on it yet. But again, 49ers defensive end Charles Omenihu, who had two sacks against Seattle on wildcard weekend, arrested on Monday for suspicion of domestic violence. More to do. One hour down, one hour to go here on Hacker After Dark. Brent Beard coming up in the 11 o'clock hour. The high school spotlight coming up in the 11 o'clock hour as well. We're glad you're with us here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. So according to his Twitter handle, three-star quarterback on some message boards and recruiting websites, two-star on others, Jordan Guile, a quarterback from Chattanooga, Tennessee, announces he is committed to the University of Florida. Not sure if that's as a preferred walk-on. One would think it might be a preferred walk-on situation. Don't have clarity on that yet, but it does bring to light this inevitable truth. Um, Because of the Jaden Rashada fiasco, which, by the way, uh, we're going to have Brent Beard on to talk about that coming up in less than 10 minutes. We're also going to go to Gainesville tomorrow. Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com will shed some light on what really happened. 
But because Jaden Rashada is no longer in the plans at the University of Florida, they currently have three scholarship quarterbacks in the quarterback room. Max Brown, who is going to play baseball for the Gators this year and was a three-star Central Michigan commit last year before he decommitted from Butters and committed to Florida. Then you got Jack Miller, the former Ohio State quarterback who we saw in the bowl game set college offense back about a decade. And then you got Graham Mertz, the transfer from Wisconsin, who people at Wisconsin were not exactly sad when he decided to transfer. And you look at Florida's schedule next year at Utah, at LSU, you play Georgia, obviously, at South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida State, yikes, Kentucky, who will have Devin Leary, by the way, as their quarterback. Look, I'm not saying Billy Napier is going to be in trouble, but here's what I know. Six and seven in year one, you've got arguably the worst quarterback room at Florida in a long time unless something drastic happens and you're opening in Salt Lake City on Labor Day weekend against a Utah team that will be all sorts of fired up to bring you out to Pac-12 territory. So if you're going to blow it out, just blow it out. Yeah, it's uh, that's true in all facets of life. Could be an interesting year at the University of Florida, and it's not Napier. I don't blame Napier for the Jaden Rashada situation. I blame Jaden Rashada and the people around him. Certainly there's some blame to go on collectives and where we are in the world of NIL, but it is a bad look all the way around, and the football side of it is not good right now in the Gator quarterback room. We'll talk to Brent Beard about that coming up in less than five minutes. Also the high school spotlight, Corey Johns, the brand-new head football coach at Bartram Trail High School, and Step Durham, the brand-new head football coach at Atlantic Coast High School, both scheduled to join us. It is a Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you, Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. A little college ball, Florida, Florida State, Miami, and more with Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You get him right here on Hacker After Dark. He's next on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The college football season has come to an end, but the news never stops in the world of college football. With that, let me bring in my friend Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News here locally. You also get him right here on Hacker After Dark. Mr. Beard, how are you, sir? Well, I'm doing well. Good to be on with you, uh, as always, Hack. The reality is, as, as much as there are parts of name, image, and likeness in the transfer portal that we don't like, it, it keeps the sport in the news uh, on a virtually a daily basis, which uh, there can be a good thing about that. Yeah, there's a lot going on, and we're going to get into NIL and, and what it means for the entire world of college football as far as draft declarations in a moment. But you and I really haven't talked since the Jaden Rashada news came out 
um, asking out of his letter of intent to the University of Florida, being granted that. There's all sorts of rumblings, all sorts of rumors as to what transpired, what really went on. The bottom line, Brent, is it's a bad look uh, for the Florida Gators. I don't think it's a great look for Jaden Rashada either, quite frankly. I don't think there's anybody that really wins in this, but certainly Florida now in that quarterback room, they got some problems. Well, uh, what we don't know is, a uh, is this $13 million anywhere near being accurate? I've certainly heard uh, conflicting reports about that. And, um, heck, who changed their mind? Did Florida change their mind? Or did Rashada and his group change their mind? That We may not know that for a while, uh, but at this point, uh, where does this lead them? And that's a good point. I mean, Max Brown is a redshirt freshman who's also going to be a, an outfielder for the baseball team, uh, which would be uh, interesting to watch because they're supposed to be really good, by the way. Uh, in, in Jack Miller, is he more than a project uh, at this point now? Graham Mertz coming over from Wisconsin, is he basically going to be a game manager? And frankly, in fairness to him, I've seen all the numbers like you have. But what they need, Hack, is uh, they what they didn't get in Anthony Richardson, while they would get an elite play from time to time, what they didn't get was just a normal play. Uh, in other words, can you hit the back coming out of the backfield uh, on third and seven and get eight yards for a first down, and he would overthrow him. Or throw throw at his feet, so you you you've got you just need to get a quarterback sometimes uh, who can make your uh, typical plays. Uh, I had a chance to speak to the uh, Clay County Gator Club last week, so we we hashed all this around. Uh, and look, the now the Rashonda situation keeps the attention away from a lot of other things. That that I mean, some of these receivers, particularly the young ones like Eugene Wilson, have morphed into a five-star prospect. We'll see if that happens on the field in Gainesville. They brought in Damian George from Alabama, who hopefully will help the offensive line. This offensive line may be at like six six, three thirty six on average. Ricky Pearsall comes back. Uh, unfortunately, they lost Cameron Waits, offensive lineman, to a torn Achilles. Uh, and they've had a couple of uh, transfers in Cameron Carroll, uh, running back from Tulane, and then Manny Nunnery from Houston. And are those guys going to be able to, uh, to, to really do anything to help the team? We don't know. Uh, but as you've talked about, uh, and I get it, is – the Rashada situation just hogs all the spotlight and really covers over anything else they're trying to do at this point. Yeah, it hogs the spotlight. It gives other teams ammunition in the recruiting game to say, what are they doing at the University of Florida, you know, with the collectives and whatnot, a negative recruiting angle. And let's be real here, and you and I know we, we've done this certainly long enough. You know, Billy Napier was 6-7. and seven last year um he needs to win in year two he does and you look at that schedule I mean they open at Utah at LSU 
at South Carolina. Obviously, they play Tennessee, Georgia, Florida State. I mean, it's not exactly a cakewalk of a schedule. And if your starting quarterback is Graham Mertz, who many people up at Wisconsin, I don't think we're all that upset when he transferred out. All of a sudden now, there appears to be some pressure on Napier in year two. Yeah, and that uh, and look, the thing we can also ignore, and you've mentioned this multiple times, is um, is even with the quarterback issues, Hank, they've got to fix that defense, don't they? Uh, that that is a uh, was a real problem for them last year. That if they could have gotten uh, more stops along the line, that that would have made a humongous difference with that. And we'll certainly get into that as the off season goes along. Uh, but but to me, uh, that's nearly as big a priority right now as a quarterback situation is. You see Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him right here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brent, I was looking over your notes and, and talking about NIL. I thought this was fascinating. The amount of underclassmen that have declared for the NFL draft has dropped substantially this year from years past, and you would have to assume that is a direct correlation now to the world of NIL in college football. Yeah, and I give Football Scoop credit for this, but the numbers to me are amazing in that the guys who declared for the draft – um, or uh, this year were 82, and just a year ago it was it was 100, and in 2021 is 128. So, as as many problems as we have from NIL, uh, this may be one of the more positive byproducts uh, that, that we've seen with it. And, and look, we all know your. Uh, elite players are going to the draft, but I think what this does, uh, and rightfully so, and you've seen it like I have over the years, you've got a lot of guys who are uh, probably, they're not going to be in the first two or three rounds, uh, and they're just basically on the edge, and they've got people whispering in their ear, uh, well, you need to go ahead and go when really they don't. Uh, in this way, they can come back, uh, they can get another year of experience, uh, and they also can get some money to tie them and their family over. Uh, so, uh, and look, I get the criticism that goes with NIL, and it's deserved, but frankly, for the good of the college game, uh, I, I think these numbers hack are positive, frankly. Yeah, look, I mean, college football, you lose a lot of really good juniors to the draft, and like you said, just two years ago, 128 juniors declared this year 82. That is a substantial, substantial difference, and you would have to think, again, direct correlation with NIL being in the college football game. Brent, there's a lot of quarterback news outside of Gainesville in the state of Florida. Let's begin in Coral Gables. Jake Garcia has transferred out of Miami. He's heading to the Southeastern Conference, right, to Missouri. Uh, what, if anything, does that do to Miami? Because Garcia did come in last year when uh, they had some injury problems down there at the Miami quarterback spot. Obviously, they won't have that luxury now in 2023. 
Well, and, and listen, the Roshana stuff gets all the publicity, uh, but I'll be frank with you. This Miami team has got as many problems or maybe more than Florida does. Uh, and, and what you – listen, what you had in that Miami quarterback room at one point uh, was Tyler Van Dyke, Jake Garcia, Jacuri Brown – Rashada was in there too, what we can't forget, uh, and Emory Williams. So uh, some of those names our listeners are familiar with, some they're not. But the reality of it is they've got as many quarterback issues, frankly, as uh, Florida or anyone else does at this point. They're starting center. Ja'Kai Clark has entered the portal also. Even their quarterback coach, Frank Ponce, is going back to Appalachian State. Now, again, Mario Cristobal is a tremendous recruiter. We understand that, but uh, we we would be less than honest to say that there's a tremendous amount of rebuilding that's going to have to go on at Miami, too. You see Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him right here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brent, the Heisman campaign is in full force already. It may be the month of January, but they're not messing around in Tallahassee no. when it comes to Jordan Travis. No, and he is, when you see Heisman uh, favorites at this point, and again, um, I get it. People love to see the odds for that uh, at different times, but Jordan Travis is involved with this, and I think rightfully so. And again, there are a lot of Tremendous names, Michael Penix of Washington, Bo Nix of Oregon, Drake May of North Carolina, and, of course, Caleb Williams of USC, and, and a lot of guys here that will join the group at some point. But Travis coming back, I think, is very typical, isn't it, Hack, of the optimism that you've got right now at Florida State. They just hired um, uh, <laughs> Patrick Jertain Sr., as their new defensive backs coach, was in the NFL, longtime South Florida high school coach. You And your travels, you, you, I won't be surprised if you've interviewed him at one time or another. I have, uh, and there's always a method to the madness. He's a good coach, but he's also got connections in South Florida. Uh, uh, hey, and how important is that for any school in this state, right, Dak, uh, at that point, too? So, uh, and uh, But I can understand the optimism for FSU, can't you? Uh, I mean, it, top ten, maybe top five, probably uh, picked over Clemson to win the ACC. Uh, heck, you were, it, when's the last time we remember things being this optimistic in uh, Tallahassee? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, if you were to run the clock back 12 months and say that in January of 2023, uh, Florida really? State would be – the king of the state right now when it comes to really yes. everything going on in college football. People would not have believed you, but that's kind of where we've landed. Brent, some interesting times for your alma mater there in the state of Alabama. Pete Golding leaves to go to Ole Miss as the defensive coordinator, and now we find out earlier today Bill O'Brien is leaving Alabama to go back to the NFL, to the New England Patriots, as an offensive coordinator, so both coordinator jobs now open that Nick Saban needs to fill there in Tuscaloosa. Well, and they needed to make a change. 
uh, frankly, uh, in, in both those positions. Um, I'll start with O'Brien. O'Brien, look, Bill O'Brien's a good football coach. The problem in Alabama was uh, he just did not have any creativity uh, for one thing, uh, and particularly when you've got the uh, the athletes that they do in Alabama. The uh, um, so him going back to the Patriots, he'll be reunited uh, with Mac Jones and Bill Belichick. Uh, so who does that leave? And and. I'm not saying they're going to get the job because you don't ever know with Nick Saban, but Jeff Levy, who is at Ole Miss, and now is Oklahoma has been mentioned. Uh, Dan Mullen, I'm sure that shocked you, Hack, uh, a former Gator quarterback, has been mentioned too. Uh, and also Pete Golding going to Ole Miss. He'll have a little, a little I'm being facetious here, he'll have a lot of uh, – say so now what to do with the defense look whoever comes in and is a defense coordinator in Alabama it's still Saban's defense uh, there's no doubt about it but they needed to make changes uh, and they did uh, and Golding Golding really wasn't the problem Hank but he also wasn't the solution either uh, so the but the names you hear Glenn Schumann the co-defense coordinator at Georgia along with Will Munchjam Jim Leonard of Wisconsin, who was a really good football coach, too. And Jeremy Pruitt, who was at Tennessee. Now, Pruitt was a train wreck as a head coach, but as a coordinator, uh, he's done a good job. He was at FSU, he was at Georgia, also in Alabama. So we'll see where uh, Nick Saban goes with those. Uh, but the main thing is they've got to get more physical. They've got to get tougher at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and, and be able to run the ball and get third and short by running it instead of throwing it. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting next few weeks in Tuscaloosa. Final moments here with Brent Beard. Here's the thing, too, and this sounds crazy to say, but these are important hires for Saban because right now, they are. Brent, the Georgia, the Georgia Bulldogs run college football. I mean, it's not Alabama anymore. It's Kirby Smart in Georgia. I mean, they're 29-1 and one. They're back-to-back national champions, and they've kind of knocked Alabama off that pedestal. So if you're Nick Saban, these are very important hires that you're going to be making here over the next couple of weeks. Well, he's 71 years old at this point. I mean, he still um, has has lost anything, particularly in recruiting. They had the number one class uh, in 2023, and they've got the number one class so far in 2024. But uh, I think what's happening here is he is gearing up for another run uh, and, frankly, probably his last run. Uh, I mean, Hank, let's be honest, he's got probably uh, – he's in great shape at 71, but, but, but I would say probably maybe five to seven years if he's got that long. Um, so that, that's why he's kind of retooling. And I give him credit for this. He did the same thing when he brought in Lane Kiffin, uh, and he's looking to do something similar at this time, too. You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brent, always appreciate the time, man. The world of college football and the news never stops. We certainly thank you, and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, well, we'll look forward to doing this uh on a regular basis during the off season because uh, there will be something happening all the time on it, Hank. 
Back here on the high school spotlight, 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. One of the better public school programs, not only in the area, but in the entire northern part of the state, is Bartram Trail out there in St. John's County. Daryl Sutherland did a terrific job with that program. He has retired, and there is a brand new man in charge of Bartram Trail football. His name is Corey Johns, and let's welcome him to Jacksonville. I guess welcome him back to Jacksonville. We'll explain that here in a moment. Coach, congratulations. How are we doing? Thank you. Doing great. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting started. Coach, you are, I believe, from Interlochen is where you played your high school ball, and you also played some of your college football at Jacksonville University, so this is almost a little bit of a homecoming for you. Yeah, it is. Uh, like you said, I went to, to Interlochen High School. Uh, my whole family lives about 35 minutes away from Bartram Trail, uh, which is great, and I've always been trying to get back up here and waiting for the right opportunity, and uh, when this one you know, became available, I, I, I kind of told my wife, I was like, you know, this is it. This is the, this is the one I've been waiting for to, to try to move back up there. So, um, and it all worked out. Corey Johns, the new head coach of Bartram Trail, here with us on the high school spotlight. Coach, what was it about this job uh, at Bartram Trail? We know the success the Bears have had under Daryl Sutherland, but what was it that attracted you about this job? Yeah, so obviously the location uh, to my family was – you know, the first thing that, that I thought of when the job came open. But then I started to call around, uh, you know, talk to people. Um, and really the, the the culture of the school, the administration, the way that they, you know, find athletics important as a part of the school culture, um, uh, you know, as well as the overall school culture, on, you know, just based off the things that I've, I've talked to people that have been around the program, worked for the program um, or been involved in the school one way or the other. I heard nothing but, you know, fantastic things that were not not normal to a high school daily activity. So um, it, it attracted me and, and wanted, it was something that I really wanted to be a part of. And now that I'm here, I, all those things have, have been confirmed uh, 100%. For those that don't know, uh, you came, I believe, from Nature Coast Tech, which is a, a very good school in the central Florida area, and you, uh, I don't think, ever won less than six games during your time down there. How would uh, coaching down there prepare you for a job like Bartram Trail? Yeah, well, if, uh, when you get to it, fo football is football. The X's and O's, I think, are, are you know, that, that's going to be very similar no matter where you go. Um, I, I do think, though, that coaching at, at Nature Coast was a, a – a very good experience for me in, in the way that um, I got to experience every part of being a head coach. Um, we didn't have the availability down there to hire a lot of assistants. Um, we just didn't have the opportunity there. So um, I, you know, pretty much got the, the, the opportunity to run everything from the strength conditioning program um, to, to the, the academics, the grades, the eligibility, um, fundraising, parent communication. Um, it, it really just gave me a, a, a deep insight to, you know, being involved in everything and now getting here and seeing how much support there is um, and being able to, you know, delegate those things um, and kind of have an idea of how it should go. 
uh, I think gave me a really good, you know, overlook on how something should be done and a program should be run. Corey Johns, the brand new head coach at Bartram Trail High School. You know, it's interesting, coach, in that that district is unbelievable. I'm sure you found that out pretty quickly with Oakleaf and Fleming Island, yourself, Creekside, and um, Gainesville Buholtz. Yet every school in that district, other than Creekside, brand new head coaches. It'll add an interesting dynamic to this upcoming season. Yeah, I, I, you know what? Now that you say that, I, I didn't think about it until now. But you're, that's 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 an odd dynamic. Uh, you wouldn't think that 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 many schools with, you know, and they've all had pretty pretty good success. Um, would all have head coaching openings for one one reason or another, but. Um, so that's going to be that's an interesting you know storyline going into the season I think, um, and and you know who transitions best and 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 makes it work and um, finds a way. Final moments here with Corey Johns, the brand new head coach at Bartram Trail High School. Coach, we know what Daryl Sutherland meant to that Bartram Trail community. He had been the only head coach there, 182 wins at that school. Uh, how much advice has Coach Sutherland given you and? Will he will he still be around the program? Have you have you talked to him about still being involved in any capacity? Yeah, he's he's still on campus, so I, I see him pretty much every day um, that, that I'm that I'm around here. Um, now he's he's such a good guy that he's never going to come to me with something that he thinks you know would would be you know beneficial. I I, I would have to go to him like he's trying. He's said a couple times he doesn't want to be in the way or step on my feet, and I've told him that's not the case. I said, if you see something, you know, please. I'm not. I'm not a, a proud guy. I'm not a an ego guy. Like I, I, I want the best situation for the kids and the coaches and the community. And if he sees something that's that's beneficial, to let me know. But I, I've been. I, I've gone to him a couple times already. Um, you know, for for certain things, and I will continue to do that. Um, as as long as he is still here on campus, which is going to be the case. So, um, and he's been nothing but phenomenal to me. Um, I've had dinner with him, um, you know, hung out with him in his, in his classroom and, and, and talked and, um, he's, he's really been a, a helpful situation. Um, and I think a positive thing, a lot of coaches I think may have been intimidated by taking the job with him still here on campus, but I, I see it the opposite way. I, I see it as, someone who can can help you if if there's something that you need help with rather than kind of just being thrown into the fire by yourself with no guidance on anything with somebody who's been here you know for 22 years coach final question you took the job i believe january the 5th you're about three weeks in what has the process been like and what do you hope to accomplish over the next you know coming weeks prior to spring ball the process the process has been phenomenal The, the 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 people you know, around the school, the people in the community. Um, it's really, you know, opened my eyes. I, I, I tell the kids and the, the people that work here and um, just that the way that this school is and the way that it operates is not normal. It's in the minority. Um, it, it's a it's a very special place um, and, and, and it's been really inviting and welp- welcoming um, in, in, in every way uh, possible. Um, going forward, we're, we're um, getting everybody signed up uh, for seven on seven, uh, plan to start that next week. Uh, we'll, we'll do that, you know, we'll do that twice a week. And, uh, also going to start with some, some offensive meetings. Cause we're obviously we're going to be learning a new offense. 
So start with some offensive meetings in the morning before school and slowly try to install the offense and, um, you know, just get ourselves prepared for spring. Um, I know it sounds like it's a long way off, but it'll be here before we know it. So, um, you know, that's where we're going to start seven on seven and, and meetings and getting to getting to know the offense and terminology and, um, you know, things of that nature. Corey Johns, the brand new head coach at Bartram Trail High School. Coach, welcome back to the First Coast, man. Certainly enjoy uh, the conversation. I'll enjoy meeting you, I'm sure, when we uh, finally get together. High School Media Day will be just around the corner, and we'll be under the Friday night lights, like you said, before we know it. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. And again, thank you to brand new head coach of Bartram Trail High School, Corey Johns, for joining us here on the high school spotlight. A brand new coach in St. Johns County, and now a brand new head coach in Duval County. Step Durham makes the transition from Wolfson and is now the brand new head football coach at Atlantic Coast High School. A return to Atlantic Coast for Coach Durham, and he joins us here on 1010XL. Coach, congratulations. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you for reaching out. Hey, Coach, what went into the decision? I know you did such good things at Wolfson last year, but I guess when the alma mater comes calling, it was hard to turn that down. Oh, yeah, definitely uh, hard to turn down. Um, you know, it's new facilities, everything. And then you have a bigger crowd of kids that you can impact and help make a push for playoff state and get some guys into school. Coach, you're a very young guy uh, to be a head coach. What did you learn in one year at Wolfson that you'll now be able to take with you to Atlantic Coast? Um, The biggest thing as a head coach, you got to make sure that you take care of everything. It's not all about ball. You got to take, take care of the 360 view of things, whether it be painting or filling everything. Um, I, I knew that I can fit in with the football that I know. It was just the experience of um, being able to take care of everything. And, I mean, now I'm, I'm ready for whatever is thrown at me. Well, let's talk about the future here in a moment. Certainly, let's, let's reflect on the past. In one year at Wolfson, you did kind of change the culture there on Powers Avenue. Was it tough to leave a job like that? It, it, it was very tough, uh, building relationships with the kids and, you know, making that decision. Uh, you hope they understand uh, what's going on, but you definitely wish the best for them and, and recruitment and making sure they keep up on their grades and everything. You know, you definitely don't want the kids to be sad. Um, you just have to weigh, weigh the decision and figure out what, what works best for you as a coach. Head coach Step Durham, the brand-new head coach of Atlantic Coast High School. Coach, we mentioned you played there. I believe you played for Kevin Sullivan during your time at Atlantic Coast. What did Coach Sullivan teach you that you've been able to use yourself now as a head coach? Um, looking back, um, just how, how well organized he was with everything that he did and the types of scheme that we were running for the time, they, they, they translated to college. So thank for the guys that he put in school, which was a, a bunch of us, um, that it translated once we uh, made it to uh, college and – you know, we furthered our career that it, it was that simple because um, we were running college-level stuff in high school. A couple of more for head coach Step Durham of Atlantic Coast. You mentioned this earlier. Wolfson obviously is on one level of high school football, but now you certainly go up 
a few levels to a big public school like Atlantic Coast. Uh, what are the biggest differences, Coach, between coaching Wolfson and now making that step to Atlantic Coast? Um, as far as schedule, um, I, I think we have the toughest schedule in uh, Duval County with playing your reigns and the Mandarins of, of the world right now. Uh, every week is a game. Um, you know, it's going week to week. You have to definitely game game plan differently. And you have to realize that every game you have to come to play or you're, you're liable to lose. Um, just preparation. And I think just being ready for just being ready for whoever comes in or whoever you go to is the biggest thing right now. You know, you played on that field in high school. You went to that school, and now you're the you're the head football coach. I mean, that's that's kind of cool, right? Going back to your alma mater, has that kind of sunk in yet? Uh, it, it has finally sunk in. Uh, going back to the campuses and walking around, uh, just replaying experiences. Uh, I think it'll be a. I think it is already a great experience. You know being able to impact other people and looking at some of the guys over there that remind me of myself, um, kids that were playing ball and now they're getting the opportunity to make it to a different level. Final moments here with head coach Steph Durham of Atlantic Coast. You took the job a couple of weeks ago. What has the transition been like to this point and what do you hope to accomplish in coming weeks leading into spring football? Uh, so th this process isn't being new to me. Um, going into a program and trying to change it around. Um, <clears throat> the biggest thing is having the guys buy in. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing. When you have a coach, I mean, a coach come in, you got to earn the players' trust once you get in. Once they earn that trust and they and they they'll play their hearts out for you. I think you have a beautiful thing brewing. Step Durham, the head coach of Atlantic Coast as they will get things underway with the Stingrays there very, very shortly. Coach, congratulations. Great job at Wolfson last year. We wish you the best at Atlantic Coast moving forward, and we'll certainly be talking to you on down the line. Thank you, Coach. Yes, sir. Thank you. Always appreciate Step Durham for joining us here on the High School Spotlight on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very busy Tuesday night edition, our late show. Thank you for staying up with us tonight here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We got a lot of people to thank, including Step Durham, the brand-new head coach of Atlantic Coast High School. Thank you to Corey Johns, the brand-new head coach of Bartram Trail High School, for both joining us tonight here on the High School Spotlight. Thank you to my friend Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You also get him right here. On Hacker After Dark, the world of college football never stops. There is news constantly in the world of college football, and we always thank Brent Beard for his time here on 1010XL and Hayes Carline. You get him every afternoon on the Frangie Show. The Jaguar season has come to an end. I enjoyed reflecting on the season that was with Hayes and looking forward to what should be a very interesting offseason an offseason is going to get underway here pretty quickly. Free agency begins in less than seven weeks. And uh, between the combine, pro days, the draft will be here before we know it. The Jaguars actually report back to work on April the 17th 
for their off-season workout program. Well, that'll do it for a Tuesday night. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Wednesday, and we'll do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending your part of your Tuesday night with us, your late night Tuesday night with us, right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday, and we'll do it all over again on a Wednesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.